welcome to the N17 podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Eddie and Jed. How are you boys? Uh, uh, yeah. How I, feel. I mean, just, just to contextualise things, uh, we're doing this straight after the Sheffield United result. Obviously, unless you were living under a rock, you would know that we lost 3-1. Um, sort of lucky to even get one goal. It feels more like a three nil, and um, yeah, boys, how are we feeling about football coming back? Because this is our first pod since since football came back. So, did we miss it? Uh, I mean, do you remember just before the United game, we did the we did the pod and we were talking about um, how you feel about it coming back, and I was like, you know, just before the game, I was like, actually, this is the first time I'm excited. How's that excitement now? On the podcast, I said, but, you know, I'm a Spurs fan, so it won't be long before I'm not. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it's got to that point. It's got to a point where I think, um, yeah, I just don't remember a time where I liked football, so (laughs) I might just quit. Just might just quit, innit? (laughs) Jed, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, if you saw what was said on on the group chat earlier, um, about me telling my dad that when he told me if I was I was going to support Spurs, I should have just told him to shut up there and then because <laughs> it's been tough, man. This shit's been tough. I've had nearly what, fifteen years from what I can remember of this, and it's it's not been sweet. I, I didn't even see that, but from from the stuff you were saying during the game, I was, I was genuinely concerned that you might not come on the pod. So it would oh, just no. be too much. <laughs> I went down during the game um, for dinner with my mum and she was like, when are you next doing the podcast? So I was like, tonight after this, great. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I've got to watch this and I've got to talk about this for an hour. So you know what? Yeah. I had a similar conversation with my dad. He was just like, um, I was just like, oh, I'm doing a pod tonight. And he's just like, yeah, have fun. Like, (laughs) because he just wants to, he's very good actually at just switching off from a bad result. He just yeah. pretends that football doesn't exist. I'm getting, to, I'm learning that with age. I feel like with age, I'm starting to get a bit better at that. But I can't lie, I'm hurting. I'm hurting right now. Yeah, I am. Um, I just kept on like hitting things, just watching the, the game. Like whenever, like Lamella did the needless roll ball, uh, ball roll, or um, whenever uh, Lucas decides that he doesn't know the meaning of looking up and like has laser f- focus on on grass. <laughs> um, I just started hitting like inanimate objects um, in, in my room. Um, this reminds me of that scene in Bruce, uh, where it's just like you're an inanimate object. Um, I just started hitting things. Um, so I think I was even. I, I think during the game I, I moved past that because don't they say there's like seven stages of grief, and uh, <laughs> you were in the the initial stages. I think anger. Um, I skipped a few stages. I, I went straight to. I think I'm in ex- acceptance, acceptance of the existential suffering that is Tottenham Hotspur. Um, well, I say I say existential suffering, but I've mentioned this on the pod before, and I've always sort of felt like there is a, a, a curse on Tottenham Hotspur, and I've been convinced of it since Lasagna Gate in 2006 when I was a little kid, maybe 10, 11 years old. And I, and I just, my mind couldn't help but wondering 
back to, I don't know, Middle England. There's some witch in a hat. She's got her, her pot and whatever, and she's just sprinkling little curses on Spurs from that Lasagna Gate game. And today was one of those days because I feel like the, the best place for us to start when we're analysing this game is the Lucas Mora apparent handball. Apparent is a good word. Yeah. Jed, do you, do you want to run us through it? I kind of want to get the Jed perspective on this. Uh, um, Lucas picks the ball up. You know what? Probably one of the best things he did in the game. Drove, drove a good 15, 20 yards with the ball, I think. Gets dashed from behind. And then gets <laughs> absolutely clotted at him from about an inch or two. So, all right, fair enough. At least we, we should have a free kick then. Um, and obviously, obviously, Harry Kane puts, puts it away after this happens. They review it. Apparently, a handball. Don't take it back and give us a free kick. It's, it's honestly just a, just a disgrace, man. Um, Eddie, what, what was it you just sent in the chat about... Um, Oh yeah, so so after yeah after the game, I decided to try and have a look at at the rules because a lot of people, especially the commentary, would say you know letter of the law, letter of the law. So it's almost as if referees are not supposed to use common sense; they're not supposed to view situation uh, case by case. But literally in the laws of the game, it says referees are expected. To to use their judgment and common sense in applying the laws. This is colloquially known as Law 18. On top of that, it says that it is, however, considered natural for a player to put their arm between their body and the ground for support when falling. So as long as the arm is not extended to make the body bigger, if it hits his arm and when he's falling over and he's breaking the fall of his arm and he's, the ball is absolutely thunderbolt at him, from about two two centimetres from his face and he's falling. Cause the thing is, he doesn't even put his hand up to protect his face. He's falling over. It just happens to hit his, hit his whatever. It might have been his elbow. Shoulder? Um, like, yeah, a lot of people said it was his shoulder. shoulder. Yeah, which you obviously... It's so hard to tell. They've looked at it over and over again and, you know, whether he even hits his arm, the fact of the matter is, if... You're gonna if you're gonna apply the the rules like that, then you've just completely ruined the game because there's no way he's he's done that um, purposefully, and it was just yeah. I think it's one of the worst decisions I've seen, definitely this season at least. Yeah, I tweeted that on the on the N17 pod account, and I was actually shocked at how many likes and retweets it got. I said it's just the worst worst decision I've ever seen, but that. That just goes to show on Twitter, you just got to say basic shit and it will bang. That's, that's the Fiat 500 mantra. <laughs> I can't believe how much, but it did like bang, bang. But I mean, just it was successful for us. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing is, to, to add a bit of context to it as well, that came sort of like 10 seconds after we'd, or it felt like 10 seconds after we'd conceded our goal. Um, so to have that chalked off, it was just such a gut puncher. And I said it to my dad. I was like, it literally feels like we're 2-0 down now, in a way. Because like, psychologically, yeah. it's just horrible to like, get back into the game and then just have that brought away from you straight away. And on the flip side of that as well, psychologically for Sheffield United as well, them just having scored and then literally, it, it probably wasn't even a minute 
after they had scored, we go and do that. Then all of a sudden they're on the back foot again and they're feeling deflated. So mm. it, it works. It works that way too. And it just, I mean, you can say it, it had an effect on us for the rest of that half, but I think ultimately the rest of the rest of the game and how we performed, we shouldn't be using that that as an excuse for how we played today because it was it was it was a joke. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and I feel like that's something that does haunt Spurs as a fan base, and I hope that it doesn't haunt the players as well. But obviously, they they do check Twitter and they they are aware of our conversations as fans, but. For example, it's very similar in a way to the penalty that Sissoko gave away in the in the Champions League final in terms of it's only been given because of the laws of the game, but there's no common sense that's gone into that. But it's very similar in the sense that Spurs get are on the wrong side of, of something that's clearly wrong and then struggle for the rest of the game to bring themselves out of it. And for me, it's just a mentality issue. Like how can you let something that happens in the first half of the game completely kill your whole performance, especially going back to the Champions League final? It's the biggest game of your life. Like, how can, as a club, can you just disintegrate like that from a decision? Mm. And we would, have, we would have thought that bringing in a supposed proven winner in Jose Mourinho, that these things don't happen. But yeah. it, mm. why is it still happening? Do, do, do you guys have any ideas to like why this still continues to happen? I, I can't get my head around it myself. Um, I think, you know, actually, to be fair, I think we clown Arsenal a lot um, for the fact that over the years, like no matter who they've had as a manager, their consistency to, to, to be a weak club mentally and, and, and not reach like their supposed heights of what they can achieve is like it, we have we we have the same situation um where it, for a long long time um b- before Pochettino actually and and um even somewhat during his uh tenure towards the end um where when one two decisions go against him they're like big game and uh, game uh, defining decisions um, we have no way of coming back or we have no way of picking ourselves up and I think it's in terms of the fact that like the managers that we've had in the past have like gone to protect our players uh, more than um, you know point out where we're mentally weak um, and I think it takes a lot of courage for a manager to, to turn to a team and say guys listen it's just not good enough from a mental perspective. Um, it's like we were flashing on the ball. We were, there was no creativity. Um, there was no desire. We were not winning those balls. Um, for, like for the first half, only Dyer was winning anything in the air. Um, Sanchez again gets bullied in the air. We're looking at, we, we have a really small midfield as it is. Um, and no one showed any, any true grit. And the thing with um with Sheffield and actually a lot of teams that we face is like the the whole heart of their game is is actually just getting in amongst us and we seem so e- like we seem so easily spooked and so easily bothered if we can't get the ball down to play and it's been like a, it's it's been a mentality thing it doesn't matter what manager we have or what team we have like unless 
we're we're not unless unless there's an examination on why our mentality is so weak when decisions go against us it's going to continue mm-hmm. one of the things uh that you mentioned there with sheffield united like roughing us up i think another decision that went against us which was just in a way well it's not worse than the than the first decision because the first decision is just honestly horrible but the oliver norwood's elbow on son Min's face for me He'd already picked up a yellow through just pure, dirty play, just pure tactical fouling. We were running for on goal and he just trips a player. And this, I don't want to like overstate it too much, but that's so dangerous in a way. Like that is like almost, in a way that should be like borderline red card. Like if you literally just deliberately trip someone up, with a professional foul that's Mm. bad enough in itself obviously it didn't really endanger I think it was Lo Celso who got tripped it doesn't really like endanger them as much like a two-footed tackle where their legs planted or something like that but still stuff can happen they can twist their knee or whatever going down so he's got a track record for being dirty in the game in the game itself and then I think it's just after we've had our goal chalked chalked off the ball's in the air. It's a 50-50 with Son. Oliver Norwood, already on a yellow, looks at Son's face, looks back to the flight of the ball, looks back at Son again, just walks over to him and just clots him in the face with his elbow. Like, and I say, and I say, like, he looks at the ball. You would think that that was in super slow-mo. That wasn't in super slow-mo. The ball was just in the air and he, you could see it clear as day. Yeah. And I yeah. was honestly shocked. When that I was like saying, I was saying they've got to check that, they've got to check that, and then the commentary's like, Oh, VAR's just had a little look there and they've seen no wrongdoing. And it, the commentators were so casual about it. That is a textbook red card for an elbow. You can't get any more textbook than that because a lot of the times, meditated. yeah, a lot of the times when a red card isn't given for an elbow, they'll say, Well, he hasn't looked at him before, so he hasn't planned it. Yes, this guy's planned a a heist on Son Heung-min's face. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. It was a planned think, hit, bro. It was, yeah. It was like an assassination. <laughs> it was a mob hit. <laughs> well, when, I didn't actually see it as the time, at the time. I only saw it back on replay. And you're right. He looks at him. He looks, he, he looks at him twice. He elbows him. He's not a proper elbow. I don't know if you guys saw Mitrovic's on the weekend. Um, I didn't see that. Mm. That, that was basically assault. And that was in like yeah. the last two minutes. I think Norwood gets away with it because it's it's kind of a tap. But at the same time, like you say, he looks, looks up at the flight of the ball, looks back at Son and deliberately plants his elbow on his face. Whether it's hard or not, he's he's done it intentionally. It's 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 a red card all day. And the fact that they they reviewed it for five seconds and thought, no, nah, that's not a red, it's it's an actual joke. Yeah, the fact that he's on a yellow as well, so it could have just been another yellow card. But for me, it's a straight red. Like, VAR should look at that and just say, that's just a straight red. And I think, um, I know a lot of people have been going on about how, you know, Sheffield were hard done um, in the Villa game. And they were. That, that should have been a goal um, when it was bundled over the line. Um, and somehow they're getting retribution for that, whether that's the footballing gods or... <laughs> Or, or VAR making up for the fact that, like, you know, they got their decision wrong. Obviously, we're not going to get into conspiracy theories. But um, I just think that if 
if it's not used consistent and and to be honest i haven't seen this level like this level of consistently bad decision making coming from VAR in any other country and i'm not yeah. sure if it's because i'm not exposed to the league um as much as i am to the premier league obviously but like it seems that every weekend you have one absolutely horrendous decision even horrendous last, last night in the west ham chelsea game which i yeah. don't even know what what that was given for in the end offside yeah with his, with the with the suit check offside goal and yeah. the pen yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea it's it's i it's just, i'm just lost for words on it really it's and I'm in a joke. and the, what i think what i think about it is are are they are they doing this because they don't want to they they don't want to um they don't want to admit that they've been wrong and they don't want to overturn their decisions um, in terms of like how they applied the rules or is it because they genuinely believe that they're making the correct decision? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wrote about this on one of the blogs recently. I, I actually think VAR has like created a, a paradox for referees where referees don't want to give a big decision because they know that um, they know that VAR will have their backs to like overturn it if it's wrong. Um, so, for example, going back to the Man United game with John Moss, it's easier for him to avoid controversy just to give a pen and let VAR correct him. But then the paradox comes in with the fact that VAR doesn't want to correct the referee because it wants the referee to still hold some power on the pitch. But at the same time, with the referee wanting to hold some power on the pitch, he's also thinking, I'm going to give VAR the power and then in the end, it just dilutes the whole quality of refereeing because the ref doesn't want to like give controversial calls or really take refereeing into his own hands. And VAR doesn't want to overturn him unless it's completely blatant. So in the end, you only get the most blatant calls called correctly. But then oh, yeah. even even it, saying that, like there, there was, I mean, there was blatant. It's blatantly not what happened with Lucas, and still that gets called against us. So yeah. Eddie, like you say, it's just an absolute mess, really. Yeah. It also leads on to what uh, Mourinho said after the game. Um, uh, and he was careful not to say too much. But um, he was saying how the referee is no longer on the pitch. He's uh, he's in an office. And, like, as much as we're kind of, like, we want to believe that the referee has agency of the pit on the pitch, as long as they refuse to allow the referee to go to um, to to view video footage like we did in the World Cup two years ago, as long as we're not allowing the referee to do that in a in a way that's like that's proven to at least be more successful than this two years ago, and and teams and and other countries are allowing uh, uh, referees to go to the monitor, then he's absolutely right the referee has absolved his his responsibility to make any key decisions all right welcome back to part two firstly the lineup had some surprises in it uh there was no out and out number 10 um Berkvine, did, did he play as number 10 it was all quite quite fluid right wasn't it there was, was no mm. like fixed person in the middle i think definitely when like we didn't have the ball he was playing behind Kane, mm-hmm. but once we got on the ball, it was very, very fluid. But I know you never really saw Lucas go through the middle. It was, 
it was more Son and Bergwijn um, interchanging, really. Yeah, and I and I know Jed, you were unhappy as I was as well with Bergwijn going off on the in the fifty sixth minute. Yeah. Um, I think he was probably our brightest spark. So yeah, he looked I, like he looked like the one who was going to make something happen if it was going to happen. I thought um, Lucas did lucky to to stay on for the full ninety. Um, in terms of the starting lineup, I, it was it's, it was different to what what we would have expected. But for me, I don't like playing with Bergwijn, Lucas, and Son at the same time as. When you think about it, they're all pretty much out-and-out wingers. And maybe inside forwards. But then I feel like if you start all three of them, you don't really have much to come off the bench. At least I've, I've always maintained yeah. that. I, I think Lucas is, is best as a, as a bench player. Coming, off with, coming on with 20 minutes to go, running at defences, at tired legs. Like, we just didn't really have the option to do that. Off, coming off the bench, we had Lamella who... All right, he's going to run about, run about a bit and put in a shift. But oh, I mean, his his final ball is not great. Deli Ali the same. I felt he struggled to to get into the game. And then you have Endombele, who at that point were we two 0 down when he came yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, just struggled to stamp his mark on the game. And I think that they're the moments where you really need like someone with a bit of directness and a bit of pace to come off the bench and be able to give you something different. What do you guys think the thinking was behind starting three wingers? I, I couldn't really get my head around it. I was saying that I think it just put way too much pressure on Lo Celso to be sort of like our locus of creativity in the centre, especially with Sissoko, who I, I stick up for Sissoko a lot, but I think he was very poor today. His passing was just dreadful at times. Um, I think it's... Well, and this is just my my opinion... I think it's to do with the fact that with um, with the way we've been playing currently on the break, um, we kind of had we had a similar game plan in the sense that like if um, Sheffield came out with their with their um, centre backs when the centre backs pushed forwards, catching them on the break and having three runners alongside Kane is like very dangerous because. You know, if centre backs are pushing forward, they're not necessarily going to be the best going backwards, right? They're going to be if they're chasing if they're chasing our footballers, and we saw that um, with the decision that was horribly uh, nixed by uh, Bergwijn and and and, and Sissoko, um, where Son picked up the ball and he was away. Like um, Basham had already pushed up, I think it was Basham um, had already pushed up, and there were centre backs short. Um, luckily, uh, one of their midfielders filled in. Um, but I think that was a decision or like the, the thinking behind playing three very direct, very quick players. It's just like catching them on the break when they're the centre-backs push forward or making overlapping runs was where we were going to hurt them. Uh, but it just didn't work out that way. And I, I think that feeds into the point um, that Mourinho, since coming back in the Manchester United game, in the West Ham game and in the Sheffield United game, um, I feel like he's been treating them all sort of as sort of like cup finals or cup semi-finals, where first of all you try not to lose the game, and then you try and win through like a counter and stay solid. And um, yeah, I, I, I think when that doesn't work out, we just play like really awful football. Like when you don't get a result, 
um, it, it just wasn't pretty to watch at all. Yeah. And like you say, when, it, when you play like that and you're not getting results, it's absolutely horrendous to watch. Um, but if we go back to the West Ham game, going forward, we looked so lethargic, had no ideas. And I think that's down to West Ham as well because they made it difficult for us. But if you're going to play that brand of, brand of football, at a club like us, like, let's not get it twisted. We're, we're a big club and we're a top six club. So we want to see entertaining football, especially after we've just had a reign under Pochettino where we did exactly that. So if, you're, if you play that brand of football, you don't get the results, then the fans get frustrated. Whereas if you do try and play an expansive style of football, play a nice attacking brand of football, and it doesn't, it doesn't come off every time, then you don't mind losing the old game here and there. But with Mourinho, it seems like we're starting to see the same performances over and over again now. And it's... I, I, I mean, we do need to give him time, but like... I, I, you saw it today from the reaction on Twitter and stuff. It, it just seems like people are really turning on him already. Yeah, um, that feeds into, we got a question on our Instagram from Neil Hoyle, who seems to be uh, swinging into that Mourinho out camp. Um, I'd put it in as a talking point on the running order already, saying that Mourinho is earning £15 million a year. That's a huge allocation of our resources. And uh, Neil Hoyle says, when is enough enough? I think it's a little bit too early to, to be making sort of such declarative statements like that. But at the same time, I just don't really know where we're going under, under Jose. I don't really see where we're building to and what our style of football is. And like the whole idea was that he would come in and win a cup and we went out of the FA Cup really disappointingly. We haven't, we're getting to the point now where it's looking like we could easily finish in the bottom half of the table. When he came in, it seemed as though we were going to maybe make a late charge for top four, but now it's looking like we probably will be at this, in the same position as we were when he came in around 11th, 10th. So where, where is this going? I think um, with Mourinho, um, I think everyone knew going into the this, this season with him that like he was making he was going to have to make the best of a bad situation. So he had no real defensive midfielder. He had one and a half fullbacks, um, and he had aging centre backs. Uh, and then he suffered with injuries, Kane, Son. He was dealt a very bad hand. And obviously, in terms of fitness, um, this this break in football has been good for us. In terms of we have pretty much everyone back except Tanganga and Foyt, who, neither of whom would, would have started, um, just looking at the teams currently. Um, so... I think definitely we're going to have to give him next season. There's no point making any decisions after this season because it's it's a, a nightmare season. It's kind of like an, an upside down season. Uh, we've lost a, a manager. We've we've who lost the dressing room. We uh, the club's kind of in in a transitioning phase. Uh, it might even be time for 
a lot of these things to be revamped, changed. If Mourinho is that person, uh, sorry, is Mourinho that person? I don't know. Was he a stopgap? Maybe. Um, but we, we, we have to give him at least another season just to work with the players, I guess. Yeah. Just to start fresh. Because it's very difficult to come into a season. Um, it's not like he's coming into a relegation side. You know, managers like Sam Allardyce, um, who are professionals at keeping teams up, the 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 goal is to just um, to not lose. So whether it's a draw or whether it's a win, the goal is to not lose. And that can't be what we aspire to. We have to go out and win every game. That's our goal. And to come into a team which was like in complete disrepute is, is very, very difficult to get a team out of that kind of funk. So starting at zero is probably the best thing that we can hope for Mourinho. So do you see any positives like going into... Are, are we building on anything going into next season? I don't... For me, honestly, the only positive I'm... I'm looking forward to next season is um, Bergwijn having a pre-season and starting a fresh season with us. Honestly, at the moment, that's that's I'm I'm excited to see him every game because he seems like he's so exciting on the ball and he always looks like he's going to make things happen. And for me, it's it's really the only the only positive thing to take forward to next season at the moment. Um, you look at the ongoing situation with Ben Dombele which but at the moment it looks like it's going to end with him maybe going on loan to PSG for a season. And if you look at where we are in today's market and a year ago he was our record signing, it's, it, it's just not a great look for the club at all. So crazy, isn't it? Because like, he's going on loan and PSG, like, let's be real, that's, that's probably a step up from Tottenham Hotspur. And that, show, that shows the quality of the player. And yeah. he's just not playing. And I feel yeah. like one of the ways that Mourinho could gain some goodwill from the fans is if he just said, you know what, I'm just going to play Endombele every single game until the end of the season. But unfortunately, yeah. we know that that is not going to happen. Um, I suppose... I think... Week... Um... Go on, Eddie. Go on. Oh, sorry. It's just going on the Endombele point. I think it's very telling um, in the press conference before the game um, he talked, uh, I think, I can't remember what the question was exactly, but they were talking about the nature of Lo Celso making it back into the team. And what Mourinho said was that Lo Celso did exactly what he wants a, def- a player to do. And it's just like, Lo Celso wanted to be in the team. So Mourinho was like, show me. And Lo Celso was like, fine, I'll show you in training and I'll show you where I play that I'll, I deserve to be in the team. He said that Lo Celso did that he didn't make a fuss. He didn't involve agents or families. He didn't do anything. He just worked hard in training and earned his space. And I think saying that so plainly, um, like you can never you can never discount those kind of comments as not being a double-edged sword in terms of it means one thing for Lotelso, which is true. Lotelso probably did do that, but it's probably um, an indirect at some of the players in our squad who probably believe that they should be in the starting lineup. Um, without earning their spot. I don't know who that might be, whether it's our defenders in Alderweireld and Matongan, whether it's Ali, whether it's Ndombele, even anyone else. Um, but they seem like to be like the most high-profile players that are not starting at the moment. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's very telling those comments about Lo Celso. But for me, yeah, that was absolutely aimed at Endombele. And you've got to question how that's going to motivate a young man like Endombele. Because, you know, if I put myself into his shoes, that would just piss me off. Like, it's just so childish, really, from Mourinho and so bitter. And, yeah, you can probably tell where, where I'm going to with my whole view on Mourinho. And I'm really starting to see the toxicity creeping in. Yeah. And got, um, what you said about where do like where are we going with Mourinho now? Like this is this is only what six months into his six seven eight months into his management now, and mm-hmm. these signs are already creeping in already. And um, when he had all the chat at the start of his reign, where he's like, everyone was like, "Oh, maybe he's changed. Maybe he's learned from lessons." But we've got the same situation now with Ndombele that he had with Pogba at United. We have the mm. same sort of style, lethargic style of play that he was playing at Man United with talented players that we have now. So unless something drastically changes over, over the summer and we go into next season completely completely different, I, I don't see no differences compared mm. to he was at Chelsea and at Man United. Yeah. I, and I think it's really important, you know, we're saying where we're going to go with this team. It's not like everyone's stagnating. So we're talking about Tottenham progressing. That's also in the context of City having to definitely come back next season in terms of recruitment and in terms of um, football um, because they're not in European football or they most likely won't be in European football. They'll be almost definitely um, mounting a full tilt um, attack on the title. You've got Liverpool who are, who, are, who are likely to sustain this kind of level of football Simply because if you look at their team, there's no there's no real aging players in that team. They've got a team for at least three or four years, um, uh, and we're talking at top at the top level. Um, Chelsea making some incredible signings in Ziyech and 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 Werner, and if they sign a left back, they'll definitely be a force next season. You're looking at Man United and seeing how they're clicking with with Pogba, with um, with Martial, Rashford, with um, Fernandez, they're going to be a force next season. Um, and then even the outside teams like Wolves with great um, with great recruitment, they'll be up there. Sheffield, I'd, whether it remains to be seen if they can keep this kind of performance up. Even Arsenal, if they sign players like Thomas Partey, um, if they manage to get um, some of their uh, defensive issues sorted out, because um, they've got some good attacking players. Like we're talking about moving forward. But we can already see that that like other teams are progressing. Like they they've got they've they've set out their stool to progress. Like where are we going in line with other teams progressing? It just it literally feels like we're in purgatory right now. Like we're just milling around and milling around, but we're not really like doing anything. We're not terrible, but we're definitely not good. It's just it's painful. Um, one of the questions that we got was from Toby Davis, and it was. What would the season look like if you still have Poch in charge? And that's something I also want to relate to on the running order is Pochettino um, joining his son to sign a new contract in full Spurs gear, which some on Twitter have suggested was uh, a form of mind games aimed at Jose Mourinho to sort of say, like, I'm still here, I'm still in the background because there is a theory that Levy and Mourinho had already agreed on a deal long before 
Pochettino was sacked like long before, probably in the summer of the Champions League. So there, there is a theory that Pochettino was, is still angry about that and kind of wants to bite back at that sort of what he sees as a betrayal from Mourinho. Um, what do you guys make of that whole saga? Is that on top of the, um, the engraved chant on the barbecue? Yeah, <laughs> on top of that yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I I don't know. I just, I just think Poch loves Spurs in it. I think it was it was a proud moment for his son, and he himself self still loves the club, and he just felt like it was it was like fitting to wear the Spurs shirt at the same time as as the signing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with Jed there. I think it's a lot less mind games, more the fact that like. He still has strong ties with the club. Um, he's still really good friends with the players, I'd imagine. Um, and yeah, his son still plays for the club. It is one of those things where, like, did that, uh, any dad would be wearing the the, the 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 top of a team that his son was playing for. Like, yeah. if his son. Yeah, but not not all dads used to manage that club, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it is well, quite weird. I, I saw it, and I I was kind of like. I don't know. It, it didn't really sit completely right with me. I thought it was quite odd, personally. Um, but where do you guys think we would be if we did still have Poch in charge? Obviously, it's, it's very hard to say. But I, I actually wanted him to stay. And like, even if it meant we were going to be in a relegation scrap, I would have been okay with it. Because I think he deserved this season to sort of see things out. But... Um, we were really in a spiral by the time he left. I um I saw I saw a tweet like during the game um about like you know about Potch um and where we were with him where we, we where we are without him and we're in regards like where we would be in this situation. Like you said, we were in a complete downward trajectory when he left. It wasn't like it was up and down. It was like a complete downward trajectory. And and I think this game now, or like the, lo- the, the form that we were in before lockdown shows that it's potentially not so much the manager's fault as, as the players writing the season off. I think it's a bit of both. I think the way we started with Poch um, put like a real, real sour note the, the season and I think a lot of players if you look at Vertonghen potentially his last season you look at Danny Rose who's, who's now gone and paused um, uh, even Alderweireld like a, a lot of players might have seen this as a as a write-off this season and obviously getting Mourinho um, definitely doesn't suggest that this is a write-off season because um, otherwise you would just get a, a stopgap manager or even like potentially uh, an assistant manager, a caretaker for the end of the, towards the end of the season. But I think um, I think it's definitely been a mental thing where maybe players have just been let's just make it to next season, start again, maybe potentially. Is yeah. our relationship with Poch toxic as a fan base? Because <laughs> I see like twenty tweets a game saying just one Poch back. Yeah, I think people have got to move on from that now. It's been 
it's been about eight months since since he, we know he's yeah. he's probably not going to come back any any time in the near future. Well, we don't think so anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to move on now. It's it's it feels like a completely different era now. To be honest, um, if you look back at all the great the great pot squad and now where we are now, it's just we just got to get behind the team now and try and move forward all together as a as a club because looking back at the past, it's it's not going to do any good for anyone. And I think, I think personally, Jose doesn't need everyone. At this, not that people are at the stadium at the moment, but even at the beginning, when you had the, the potch flag, I think you even had a few potch chants here and there. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just, he doesn't seem the type of guy to be phased by that, but for the whole atmosphere of the club, you just don't need that going forward. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, how do we see the rest of the season going? What would you guys like to see in terms of the lineup? What do you guys think Mourinho will do? And also, do you want to be in Europa League next season? Because it's looking like Champions League is now impossible. Uh, Jed, let's start with you. Um, yeah, I would like to see him use some of the some of the younger guys now, such as Skip. Um, I'd like to see Dennis. Dennis Kirkin, Kirkin, however you say his surname. Um, I'd like to see him get a few games, considering Davis hasn't been in the greatest of form. Um, Harvey White, another one. Uh, Aurier, he even mentioned about Aurier maybe having to be be rotated. So, Jetson at right back. What have we got to lose now? Um, but just, just, just try different things. Don't play with the same, the same squad that we're expecting every week, because realistically now we're playing for Europa League at the most. And for me, I'm still undecided on whether that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. I think European experience for some of our, some of our youngsters could do them a lot of good. Um, but at the same time, I think obviously being out of Europe for a season, only having to focus on the Premier League and the Carabao Cup, the yeah. FA Cup, um, uh, which by the way is a is a great chance for us to win a cup. Um I think that could help us also. So I'm a bit torn on that. But just 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 try something different for this season. For the rest of this season. Eddie. I think uh yeah, definitely I agree with Jed. Like I'd love to just see some some experimentation in terms of players. Um we all know that I'm Skip's biggest fan, so I'd like to see <laughs> I'd like to see him start a game. Um, just because we haven't got a defensive midfielder who's locked down the position, so that is up for grabs for anyone. And I'm, and I'm not I'm not actively against someone like Skip coming in and trying to make that position his own. Um, and I just yeah, like 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 just said, I just want to see some young players. I want to see some changes. I want to see a team where potentially Kane doesn't start or at least Kane plays in the number 10. I know Jed, uh, Jed has views on that. Um, as a 10? Yeah, Kane as a 10. I'm excited to see Kane as a 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, he can't, but he can't move. He yeah. Can't move. Um, but um, yeah, I'd just love to see some something a bit different. Um and also, like, I know this is going to be pretty much out of the realms of realistic possibility, but um, 
can we sign free agents before the season ends? I don't think so, no. I think they have to be registered within your squad to extend their, their contracts. I see. I yeah. See. Um, well, I, I just suppose, like, yeah, just something a bit a bit different. Like, if, if it is that we're going to push for the Europa League, um, then, like, maybe something different. Like, I think teams, maybe not necessarily figure this out, but, like, can pretty much predict the starting lineup and we can look at our weaknesses because we're most likely going to play the same back four every week. Um, so, yeah, just something different would be nice. Um, and, um, yeah, just actually just to see a bit more of a free, freer um, style of play, like a, just some semblance of attacking football. Mm. Mm. Do you want Europa League or not? I'm personally, I'm, I'm not that fast. Yeah, um, it depends. I think. I think to be fair, <laughs> I, I think it's gonna be less Mourinho um, deciding that and more Daniel Levy, um, whether we push for Europa League or not. I think if it's up to Mourinho, I think he probably might not push for Europa League. Uh, I think he'd rather um, focus on domestic trophies. I think for Mourinho, it's more the pragmatic, realistic chance of winning a cup rather than having to like travel all over Europe from Enfield to Azerbaijan. So, you know, if that's likely going to be what he's thinking about. Yeah, I suppose there might not even be Europa League next season with the whole coronavirus second wave and whatever. Like, who knows? There's still so much up in the air. There might be no Champions League either. So, who knows? Yeah. We, we we just don't know. Um, we're sort of running out of time here. We've got nine minutes left on the Zoom call. Um, did you guys get any questions that we could deal with in a, in a quick fire fashion? I've got, I've got a few sh- stupid questions, silly questions. One from my girlfriend that says, Did Jazz play better than Deli Ali? Jazz being her dog. Jazz. Jazz being her dog. Yes. And by the way, I must add that Jazz is actually a baller. Like, <laughs> he'll, do, he'll do kick-ups and headers for days in the garden, honestly. What, what type of dog is it? It's a collie. Is it more of a baller than Dolly? Was Dolly ever a baller? Oh, 100. 100. <laughs> no, I'll kick the ball to the end of the garden. He'll come running back <laughs> with the ball on his nose. Pick <laughs> some cones out and then let's see what he can do. Sign him up. <laughs> um, and Taylor said, why is Lucas shit? Um, he doesn't have a brain. I think Eddie yeah, he doesn't know. Said it at the beginning. Mental the fixation on grass, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's. Doesn't want to look at anything else. There's a couple from Aaron. One is, do we win if the equaliser stands? Ooh. I think we probably would have. Yeah. I think yeah. so. I think we probably would have. Yeah. yeah. But like, like we say, it's no excuse. We shouldn't be so mentally weak that that can break us. Yeah. But we probably. I think everyone on Twitter said that as well. They've I agreed think, that, like, regardless of the decision going against us, we should be mentally stronger than that. Mm. Yeah. And his other question is, Toby in next game? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Before. Sanchez. Sanchez. Yeah. yeah, Sanchez know, is poor. I know you lose a bit of the, um, a bit more pace in that defence, but honestly, he was, he was shocking today and he deserves to be dropped from next game. Yeah, he was really lost his head at the end as well. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So he was, he was against a striker who, um, who like essentially got released from Bournemouth. Yeah. Who are now sitting pretty much near the rock bottom of the league. So yeah, it's so, not a great yeah. look, is it? Yeah. Uh, my concern would be the lack of pace of Dyer and Alderweire, but Dyer's looked quite quick since he's come back. Yeah. Dyer's not slow though, and I think he looks slow because he's not a midfielder. But as mm. a as an actual footballer, he's not like a he's not terribly slow. Mm. He's not very light on his feet. Yeah, it's just not quick with the ball, basically, I guess. Yeah. Or quick on the ball. But yeah. The um, contract situation with him. With Dyer, oh, I'd extend it 100%. Um, even, if, even if we just go on to sell him, it's just worth doing. Because yeah. otherwise we're just going to lose him on a free or for not much money. So, yeah, I'd, I'd extend, personally. I think it makes sense for the club. It makes sense for a player. Mourinho wants him to sign one, so it will yeah. happen. Yeah, well, I think that that pretty much covers everything today. Um, not the most joyous episode, ah. but but it feels it feels kind of good to have gotten it out. I think it's a bit like a therapy yeah. session. Yeah. I feel I do feel better because I feel like if I had to go bed bed on it tonight, just thinking about it without venting, you'll wake up mad tomorrow. Oh. I, I'm ready to forget football, man. I don't even know. Like obviously, I'm gonna have to watch the games for for the pod. I might even just watch the highlights. Like <laughs> my life... get your get your analysis from um, from Alan Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my life was so calm without football. Like honestly, I sort of wish it never came back. Because there you go. It's one less thing to worry about. Yeah. yeah. I saw a tweet just before we go, um, saying managed to. How depressing it is to survive a global pandemic, but come out the other side of it still supporting Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Uh, <laughs> long I suppose it's that, long. That, that's that. That's a, We've got yeah, another that's four that. weeks. We've got Six another games. four weeks. We're going to we get through it. it. We can do it. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, please remember to subscribe, follow on Spotify. Follow us on the socials at N17Pod. Uh, I've been Cosmo. I've been joined by Eddie and Jed today. Yo. Yo. And thank you very much for listening. Cheers.